Welcome to episode three of season one of the Aerospace and Defense Technology Podcast. My name is Woodrow Bellamy III. I'm a senior editor with SAE Media Group. One of the key needs of any civilian or military use of counter UAS technology is the ability of the operator to have an accurate view of the airspace that are operating within. Traditionally, this type of surveillance is managed by the use of a ground-based radar system. Traditionally, military radar and surveillance has been enabled by the use of active electronically scanned array or AESA radar. This conventional type of radar typically consists of an array of antennas that form a beam of radio waves which can be electronically aimed in different directions without physically moving the antenna itself. Have you ever heard of metamaterials or a metamaterial electronically scanned array radar system? According to the journal Science Direct, metamaterials can be defined as artificially structured materials used to control and mold the flow of electromagnetic waves or possibly any other type of physical waves. What does this mean for counter UAS technology? I recently sat down with Tom Driscoll, Chief Technology Officer and Founder of Echodyne, a company based in Kirkland, Washington, that makes a new type of radar system enabled by metamaterials that they describe as being not your grandfather's radar as a technology that is disrupting existing markets and creating new ones. So to learn how the aerospace and defense world is already embracing metamaterial radar for counter UAS and other applications, let's get into the interview with Tom Driscoll, Chief Technology Officer of Echodyne. So Tom, can you start with an introduction to Echodyne as a company, your role there, as well as how and when Echodyne first entered the counter UAS space? Yes, I'd be happy to. Um, so Echodyne is a Seattle, Washington-based startup company. We're nine years, nine and change years old now. Um, I am the founder and chief technology officer of the company. So I've been with it since the beginning. I was also the managing director of the technology incubator that really came up with the idea for the core technology that uh, is the foundation of Echodyne. So we, as a company, spun out of that technology incubator. Um, and that technology is a new way to build an electronically scanned array, or sometimes called phased array, that can point electromagnetic radiation, a beam of radiation, if you will, in any direction, in two-dimensional space, so up, down, and left, right, and it can change that direction almost instantaneously. So it's a type of antenna and one with very powerful capabilities for radar. Right. And, you know, before we get into a further discussion of counter UAS and the technology you provide there, I think it'd be really uh, important and, and interesting for our audience to learn more about uh, sort of the core technology that you provide. And the core radar technology your company provides, as your website describes it as a combination of patented metamaterials, electronically scanned array technology, and powerful software. Um, can you just give our audience a better understanding of what metamaterials are and you know, how that MESA array you know, compares to the traditional active electronically scanned array radars that have traditionally been used in aerospace and defense? Yep, I'm happy to do that. So um, what is a metamaterial? A metamaterial is really this new field of physics that looks at what happens when you make arrays of structures 
smaller than you typically would, and you get them close to each other. And what we found is that um, in these metamaterial dense arrays, we're able to control the interaction with light and electromagnetic radiation in ways that were previously um, impossible or very difficult, and very difficult typically means very expensive. So as it relates specifically to um, ESAs, or electronically scanned arrays, our metamaterial ESA has all of the same capabilities of a active ESA, which is the conventional classic technology, but at dramatically reduced cost, size, weight, and power. And how we're able to do this is, let me start with explaining how an active ESA or AESA works. Uh, you create this array of sites in a phased array, and every one of those sites has to have control over its phase and amplitude. And together, there end up being 65,000 possible different combinations of phase and amplitude at each one of those sites in a phased array. And you need to calibrate those so they stay exactly predictable over all temperature ranges and over time, you know, over five years of operational life. And that turns out to just be an engineering challenge. That engineering challenge drives cost, and it drives size and weight and power. In contrast, in our metamaterial arrays, although our array is denser, we have typically about 10 times more elements than a phased array would for the same physical area. Each one of our sites only has one bit of information. It's either on or off, which makes it very easy to calibrate and predict. It's robust in the same way that digital is compared to analog. You know uh, every bit on a CD is either a one or a zero, which is why you can scratch a CD a fair amount and have it still play back perfectly, which is uh, unlike a tape where any scratch on a tape ends up creating static. So that shift from a array with every site needing a huge number of perfectly calibrated states to a denser array where every site needs only one state and calibration is just automatic uh, almost, um, just really was a big breakthrough and it simplified all of the engineering challenges and has allowed us to create these ESA capable uh, radars at a much lower cost point than was ever possible. Right, that's another important point that's pointed out on your website is the low cost and also the size. Uh, it's really impressive to see sort of the, the form factor that you have for the technology you provide. Um, you know, as a follow-up to that, I also want to ask, how is your metamaterial electronically scanned technology being used today in counter-UAS operations? Um, is its per, you know, primary purpose threat detection and classification of drones, or are there additional countermeasures it can provide against UAS? Right. Yep. So we're using our MESA radars in, let's just say, UAS operations broadly. Uh, we have a definite large customer base in counter UAS as it relates to security and defense. Um, and that spans both government customers, military customers, and uh, civilian customers. We also use our MESA radars for pro-USA operations. Uh, a great number of companies are using our airborne radars to fly their larger UAVs safely um, to form a collision avoidance application so they don't run into anything. So um, the primary role of a radar in counter UAS is as the first layer of what is ultimately always a layered solution. The first step is to detect that there is some object that's in the air that's coming towards you or is in your airspace. 
And then you want to be able to form a track on that object, where a track is a highly accurate location in 3D space, so you know exactly where it is in latitude, longitude, altitude, or up, down, left, right, and range, whichever coordinate system you want. And then you want the radar to also classify that that potential threat object is a threat, and often that means identifying it as a UAV as opposed to a bird. So the radar is the first layer in a layered solution, where the second layer is typically a camera. You need always to have some human operator to put eyes on a target before you decide to make an action or take a choice to uh, interdict it. And then that third and final layer is that interdiction or defeat layer. And that defeat layer ranges from um, passive systems like jammers uh, to more active systems like um, kinetic guns and lasers that'll take it down. And you know, Tom, one of the, the um, sort of key aspects of the use of small drones, specifically on the military side, and we'll, we'll get to sort of the other side of counter-UAS, um, but what we've been talking to a few different interviews on this uh, season one of our podcast so far is just how the use of small, inexpensive drones in Ukraine have sort of changed um, you know, not only the, the way countermeasures are used or just kind of the need and, um, you know, uh, just the type of technology that can be effective against those types of platforms. Have you seen any new need or application for your radar technology based on how small drones are being used in the war in Ukraine? Yes, absolutely. Um, that conflict, as well as other conflicts uh, the world over right now, are, are really drawing everybody's attention and making them painfully aware of what many military strategists had been forecasting for some time, that these small, um, inexpensive, proliferated, meaning very available, autonomous systems were going to disrupt conflict and just turn it on its head. And Ukraine conflict is making that point, um, just absolutely proving that point. And there are two key aspects to that disruption in my mind. One is cost and the other is scale. And so you can imagine these are very interrelated. Uh, it's difficult to scale something up to tens of thousands of drones per week being used, which is I think pretty accurately reflective of the current use numbers, unless they're low cost. Um, and then similarly, that low cost allows that scale. So in terms of the need or applications of our radar, the, the, the problem with this is that the existing solutions can't meet the cost and scale of the threat. There are amazingly high performance radars that exist today that work very well for UAV detection and counter UAS, but they'll cost tens of millions of dollars and we don't have very many of them. In some cases, we might only have a couple dozen. And so they're precious. You can't afford to risk losing one of them. So what's needed to meet this demand is something that symmetrizes the cost and the scale. And the answer to that is radar systems that are high enough performance to do that UAV detection and tracking and classification, but have the low C-swap. Again, that means cost, size, weight, and power of our MESA radars. So we're seeing a lot of demand um, and we're happy to fill it. And, and so let's go outside of military use of counter UAS, um, which you mentioned a little bit earlier. 
Can you provide some, you know, perspective on how Mesa radar technology can be applicable to counter UAS applications outside of the battlefield? I mean, any examples of how your radar is being used to protect, for example, airports or critical infrastructure, or even just the use of rogue drones in public airspace? Yeah, um, the use of UAS is certainly not confined to uh, theater and armed conflict, and the the range, the spectrum of users um, in a more civilian or uh, you know uh, onshore application ranges from users that may be compliant and are you know responsible to some that are careless and fly near airports when they shouldn't because they just don't know how dangerous it is to those that are actively criminal or malicious and looking to um, to do harm or to you know exploit UAS for profit. So uh, we are seeing demand across all of those. Airports, prisons, um, you know, critical infrastructure, uh, open air stadiums and event venues, um, power transfer stations, water plants, nuclear plants. Every one of these um, non-theater uh, situations is now vulnerable to, um, to bad actors in a way that they weren't before. Fences and cameras did a pretty good job at keeping people and vehicles out. Uh, and that's all just non, it's a non-starter now. So. Uh, we're supplying our Mesa radar systems to almost every one of those critical infrastructure um, submarkets that I just talked about. And, and you know, final question for you, Tom. Now that Echo9 has been providing its Mesa radar in the counter UAS space for a couple years now, um, do you feel like counter UAS has become its sort of its own area of aerospace and defense? You know, whereas you have drone technology itself. Uh, manned aircraft, weapons, other technologies. Are you finding that, you know, counter UAS is, is, is kind of in a military and commercial sense, developed its own ecosystem of uh, manufacturers, suppliers, and a wider range of government and commercial operators or customers? I would say in some ways, yes, and in some ways, no. It's certainly as a, um, as a buzzword, counter UAS is is nicely captures a, um, a, a number of manufacturers and technology providers and users that are all thinking about the same problem um, and looking for very similar solutions. But at the same time, it hasn't really defined its own role within your classic defense structure yet, um, because in the eyes of uh, in the eyes of the military, all UAS are aircraft. And defending against aircraft is the charge of the Air Force. Um, and so while it is a problem that presents itself largely for land ground forces, which is to say the Army, um, we've got the Air Force charged with that protection. And that overlap, it's really the fact that that overlap wasn't particularly common. You had large aircraft that were high up and flying fast, and the Air Force has radars and missiles that are good at defeating those. And then the Army had a different set of problems. It's the overlap between ground defense and air defense that the UAS proliferation has really opened up and caused us to, to think a lot about, you know, how that has to be a jointly shared problem now. And, you know, as a follow up to that, where do you see the need for improvement or changes for counter UAS in the near future? Yeah, what we have to do is we have to make sure that every part of that layered solution um, meets the cost and scale asymmetry that exists today. So 
you know, I am enamored as a technologist with a lot of these very cool solutions that we see coming out, you know, high powered lasers. Um, but we always need to ask ourselves, what is the cost of that system? And how realistic is it for us to deploy enough of these systems to make a difference when we've got a 200 kilometer line front with tens of thousands of drones per day being used and defeated, right? Can we really think about deploying um, 10,000 high power laser systems fast enough to make a dent in that? Um, so the need is we need systems that are performant enough to offer security that our forces need and we need them fast, we need them at scale, and we need them at low cost. All right, well, Tom, I think our audience will walk away with a much better understanding of the MESA radar technology that Equidine provides, so thanks for coming on the podcast. It was a pleasure, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Aerospace and Defense Technology Podcast. You can subscribe to us on all podcasting applications, or find new episodes posted at techbriefs.com slash podcast.